0: Such a gift to the body of Christ. Amen. And it's good to have fun on a Sunday morning. Amen. Why don't you guys do me a favor? I'm so, so eager to preach the word of God. Why don't you do me a favor? And grab your Bibles and meet me in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's so funny because I know some of you are like, you promised that we were back in Habakkuk today. Uh, and for, for our visitors, just so you know, uh, we, we feel most comfortable as a church going through books of the Bible. Uh, It's just how we we, we feel like the Lord should just lead our conversation and lead our time. And so we try to start in in, uh, a book and try to just run all the way through. So we're in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, but I am taking another slight detour today. Uh, And let me just tell you why I'm doing that. The reason I'm doing that is a a few weeks ago, I preached in Luke 9 on rejection. And and the Lord really, we're still experiencing, uh, as a church, we're still experiencing some of the aftermath of that. I've had many conversations with you. I've had many Facebook posts and even conversations and text messages about how the word of God on rejection really dealt with us. But here's what I found out. I found out that if you only deal with rejection and you put a period after it, we begin to find acceptance in other areas of life. And we typically find acceptance in relationships. We will find acceptance in jobs and we'll get comfortable in so many other areas because we were rejected from one area. And so the Lord really pushed on my heart this week. I actually was prepared to preach Habakkuk. But a couple of days ago, the Lord switched it to Second Samuel 9 because I want to talk about what acceptance looks like. And I'm not talking about acceptance of people because I don't know, man, if you're like me, I could care less about being accepted by people. In fact, I go so far as to say, if you are accepted by people, the Bible talks about that. Beware of being, having applause from all men. So it's something very, very important about being accepted, but being accepted by our father. And I think second Samuel chapter nine gives us good nutrients of what acceptance looks like. So we'll be back in Habakkuk next week, but if you could grab that Bible or that device or your iPad or whatever you have and meet me, second Samuel chapter nine, pick me up in verse one. I'll start there. Hassan, thanks for coming, brother. Good to see you, man. And David said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called to him David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there still not someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. Please underline this next phrase because it becomes important for our time this morning. He is crippled in both feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. The king and King David sent and brought him from the house of Makar, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And he paid homage and said, here's what here's what uh, Mephibosheth says to the king. What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And then the king called Ziba Saul's servant and said to him, all that belongs to Saul and to all his house. I have given to your master's grandson and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat, but Mephibosheth. Your master's grandson, look at this, shall always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Verse 12. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table, underline this phrase, now he was lame at both feet. I want to preach this morning from, or this afternoon from the topic entitled Crippled but Wanted. Why don't you just look at your neighbor and say, I'm spiritually crippled, but I am wanted by the king. Father, I pray to you this morning that you would be with us in our time as we open up your word. Uh, Father, I pray that I wouldn't add to this text. I wouldn't take away from it. I pray that the text would preach itself this morning. I do pray for, for strength this morning. I do pray for boldness. I do pray for clarity to proclaim your gospel. Father, woe unto me if I preach not your gospel. For all of our visitors, I pray that they would leave here and be like, I don't remember the name of the pastor that preached, but I heard Jesus today. Pray that Jesus would be the focal point of our time. May he be the climax of our service. It's in Christ's name we give all glory and all honor. May we be doers of the word, not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves. Let everybody say amen. amen. Crippled but wanted. Uh, a few months ago, I took a trip down to Jacksonville, Florida. Every, I do this annually. I go down to a pastor's expository preaching conference in Florida. And I'm pretty familiar with the, the, the layout of the airport. So the conference is about three days. I got to the conference, did my thing at the conference, and then uh, got back to the airport. Took an Uber to the airport. When I get to the airport, you know, I, I don't know how y'all do when y'all travel. I don't like running to flights. I don't like being late. I get there two. Hours. I know y'all be like, I need to sleep in. Till the-. Nah, not me. I need to get up, and I need to get to the airport because I need to be there at least two hours early. I like to sit at the gate when nobody else is there. And so I, I took this Uber back, and I was two hours early, and I get to the airport. Jacksonville Airport is not a big airport. I get to the airport, and I had in my mind how I was going to play this whole two hours out. I said, as soon as I get through Checkpoint, I know the very first stop, I mean, literally the first store you see is Starbucks. Somebody should say, touch Starbucks, Lord. <laughs> Just saying. So I see Starbucks, and, and I'm working through the Checkpoint, and I said, I'm going to grab me a... Uh, You know, I don't do no sugar, no cream. I said, I'm gonna grab me a black coffee and I'm gonna go to the gate and I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna either watch a movie or catch up on some reading. And so I had this whole thing played out in mind. But when I got through Checkpoint, I ran into one of my mentors, Pastor Brian Loritz from Abundant Life in the Bay Area. And so I run into him and he's like, man, what are you about to do? How how much time you have? I said, I got two hours. And he he said, you know, well, I got a couple of hours myself. Uh, Why don't you come with me? I said, well, I was, was going to grab me a Starbucks, you know, coffee and go down. He's like, nah, nah, nah. Come with me to the, to the, to the secret location, the secret area. In my mind, I'm like, you got an office in Jacksonville International Airport? But come to find out, he takes me into something. And some of you that travel, you look real spiritual, so you probably travel a little bit. Some of you that travel know that there is a VIP Sky Lounge. I know nothing about it. And so he begins, he begins to tell me, listen, I'm going to take you into the VIP Sky Lounge. I said, well, let me at least grab my coffee. He said, no, 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 they got that in there. So I get to the VIP Sky Lounge, and, and I'm sitting there eating Bosco, Boscoff cookies and freshly squeezed orange juice and French press Starbucks coffee. And, and what was funny, what hit me in that moment was, you know, he asked me, How, what, what kind of frequent flyer mouths do you have? And I was like, man, I have no status. <laughs> He said to me, I have diamond status. And so they'll let you in off the strength of my reputation of flying a lot. And so I'm basically trying to say in our text today, there is a man by the name of Mephibosheth who has no frequent flyer mouse. But yet he's going to be ending. When we finish this story, he's eating at the king's table always. And just like I had no business in this VIP sky lounge, Mephibosheth has absolutely no business sitting at the king's table. Here's the crazy thing. You and I have no business in heaven. You have no business. Like, I know y'all like I turned up last night, so I know I have no business in heaven. But reality is you are getting in off the strength of somebody else. In our text today, here's just to keep you in context. David is now the king of Israel. He was not the first king of Israel. First king of Israel was a guy by the name of Saul. Saul has now been dead. He, he was killed in battle with the Philistines, and he had a son by the name of Jonathan. And Jonathan actually died in the same battle. But Jonathan had a son by the name of Mephibosheth. Now, here's what's interesting. God anoints. He skips past this bloodline and anoints David so that David can be the king of Israel. And now David is sitting back because of his covenant with Jonathan. You have to read first Samuel 18 to see that David and Jonathan were like this. They were they weren't just friends. They weren't Facebook friends. They were covenant friends. And because of the covenant, David, the king, is looking to show kindness to, to Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake. Why don't you look back at, at verse number one with me, because there's a few observations I love to point out. and I'm going to let you go. A few observations about being accepted by God. Verse number one. And David said, is there anyone left in the house of Saul? Here it is that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Here's the first observation. Grace has been extended to someone because of someone else. And the same is true for you. David's requirement in order to accept Mephibosheth is purely based on his covenant with Jonathan. Mephibosheth hasn't done anything in the text to make him worthy of being accepted. But he is accepted purely based on the fact that David is like, I love Jonathan. Now, here's what's amazing. I don't know if you know this, but the surrounding nations in the surrounding nations, if a king rose, a new king rose to the rank of king, typically he would kill off the, his predecessor's entire family because he wanted to prevent a revolt. So David looking for Mephibosheth shouldn't be a good thing. Like you do know there was no elections in getting elected king. You got shanked in the shower And he killed off all of your family members. That's that's how they got into power. And so what we see in our text is David looking for Mephibosheth should be a problem. Okay, let me help you out. God looking for you should be your problem. Like God looking for you shouldn't be to show you kindness. Like think about you. God looking a holy God looking at sinful people should be our problem. But this is what I love about the gospel, because God Being our problem, he actually becomes our solution. And because of his covenant with his son, Jesus Christ, he accepts you. Like trifling you. God is going to accept. And he's not accepting you because you are so Now, Here's what's crazy. Mephibosheth really should be king. Saul dies. Jonathan dies. Mephibosheth should be a crippled king. But he's not. God appoints David to be the king. Let me put a little Bible here. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4 says this, the soul that sins shall surely die. And so you and I being like, I don't want you, i want to save you from walking out of here and saying, I'm not that bad of a person. Listen, you're a sinner. I don't care how much Bible you know. If you know a lot of Bible, you're a smart sinner. You just are like you come every week and I'm surprised that you come every week for me to tell you you are a sinner and God looking for you should be a problem. But it's not a problem. Why? Not because you're so great, not because of your merit. God accepts you because God loves his covenant with his son, Jesus Christ. So David says, is there anybody? This is another observation. Second observation I found in verse number one. Second observation is this. Grace is extended To those that don't meet any certain requirement. Like the requirement for Mephibosheth to be accepted wasn't that Mephibosheth had to walk first. He doesn't put him in some plan for him to have therapy to learn how to walk before he accepts him. God accepts him without any requirement. There's one requirement, that he's in the family of Jonathan. How how do I know that? Please look at this one word if you have physical copies of Bibles circle this word, draw a line out to the margin and write facts. Look at this word. And David said, is there still, here it is, anyone. So David wasn't looking for somebody that met the part. David wasn't looking for somebody that was a certain height and had a certain skin color and had perfect teeth and had a perfect past. David was looking for anybody that was in the the family of Saul. And because they were in the family of Saul, that was the only requirement to be accepted. And you and I in this room, the only requirement for you to be accepted is Jesus and Jesus alone. I say to you all the time, like, like Jesus isn't the better of a few options. Jesus is the only option. I've been watching like... All week I've been watching, you know, I watched Come Sunday and I was watching uh, No Shade to, to Bishop Carlton Pearson. And I was watching and, you know, having this universalism and everybody is accepted. You don't need Jesus. No, no. Jesus says in John 10, I am the way. Like No man enters in unless he comes through me. So the only requirement to get into a relationship with God, a holy God and your sin is Jesus. He says in our text this morning, is there anyone left? In the family of Saul, that I may show him kindness. I love the song that says it's before the throne of God above. And and, and there's a line in there that says, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God. The just is satisfied. Hear this. This is the gospel to look on him and pardon me like you are accepted because God, the father, the holy God looked at Jesus and pardoned you. That's it. And so David is like, listen, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? And this is is a real word for somebody, because some of you, I'm not a naive pastor to think that everybody in here has trusted in Jesus. Some of you in here think that you're going to make it into heaven on your own merit. Then the Bible says your righteousness is a filthy rag. Even the good you do before a holy God is a filthy rag. And so the requirement to get into heaven is not that you perform for God. The requirement to get into heaven is that you are in relationship with who He is in covenant with. This is important for you because some of you in here are like, listen, you grew up in a household where you couldn't listen to secular music, you couldn't play cards. Somebody said, Me. She's still struggling with it. Listen, it's true. You think because you downloaded J. Cole and you think because you downloaded Cardi B's Invasion of Privacy, first of all, if that disqualifies me, I've been bumping it all week. So I'm disqualified. I'm just, I'm listening. Y'all pray for your Pastor. The Lord is working on me. But listen, you think that's what, you think that that's what disqualifies you. Nah, Rick, that don't disqualify you. What disqualifies you is the fact that you haven't trusted in his son. Jesus Christ. So here's what the Bible says. David says, "Is there anybody in the family of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him?" Let's get back in the text here. Now, he's going to get an answer. Here it is, verse 2. Now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name, I'm sorry, now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. Verse three. And the king said, is there still not someone, same thing, someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him. Now watch Ziba's response to the king. Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled at both feet. Please notice, when Zeba wants to tell the king that there is somebody, he never introduces him by his name. He only introduces him by his condition. He said he's crippled. In other words, many commentators have said this is Zeba trying to detour the king from showing him grace. And let, let me just help you out. You do know that there is an accuser of the brethren that always brings up your condition to God. Always. In fact, Revelation 12 says, night and day he goes before God and he talks about your issues. Like, imagine this. But here's what I love, that we have an advocate with the Father. And so every time the enemy of your soul goes to God and he's like, remember they did that? Did you see them last night? They was trifling here. Did you look at their DMs? Every time the enemy, don't act like your DMs is clean. Come on now. Every time the enemy comes, somebody on their DM right now deleting. We got you this morning. Every time the enemy brings up your issues, every time. This is what I love about Jesus. The Bible says we have an advocate. In other words, he's on the right hand of the Father. And every time an issue comes up, he's like, I died for that. Died for that. And every issue, like, you do know you can't out the cross. Like, I don't care what ta- that sin that you've never told anybody about. That sin was covered over 2,000 years ago on the cross of Jesus Christ. And so there is no accusation that he could bring up that would detour God from loving you. Because he doesn't, like, understand, he's crippled. In other words, he brings nothing to the table. And some of y'all in here, y'all think it's 50-50. You think God brings 50% and you bring 50%. Can I help you out? You bring zero. And God brings it all to the table. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You do bring one thing. You bring the sin... That makes salvation even necessary. That's the only thing you bring. He is crippled. And the text is going to tell us later at both feet. In other words, he can't bring anything to the table. But the king is not detoured. The king still wants the crippled man. There's something else to notice here. Notice something. That the cripple isn't searching for the king. The king is searching for the cripple. In other words, you know, some of you think like, nah, pastor, like I found G I I want to save you from this. I found the Lord. And you think because you came down to an altar call that you were saved because you made a choice. Can I tell you something? Before you got up and said, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and came down to the altar to give your life to the Lord, before you came to the altar, you were saved in your seat. How do I know that? Because the king... Is searching for the cripple. So if you feel like you were, you found God, let me promise you, He found you first. And the fact that you can respond, you know how I know this? Jeremiah 17:9 says this. I'm off notes here. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful, it is desperately sick. How does a sick heart search for a king? It doesn't. You need God. This is why you need God to search for you. Like think about Lazarus. Like, Lazarus didn't participate in his resurrection. He didn't get up the day before and be like, yo, Jesus, dog, listen, I need you to raise me tomorrow. He didn't do that. He was dead, and Jesus raised him up. And just like he didn't participate, you don't participate in your salvation. It's all banked on Jesus. I was, I was thinking about Luke 15, where the, there, there's a parable, two, it's three parables, but two parables in particular, uh, the lost sheep and the lost coin. Right, The lost sheep that wandered off from the 99, like you do know he didn't search back for the shepherd. The shepherd had to leave the 99 in the open field to go search after one. Same thing with the coin. The Bible says that this woman has 10 coins. She loses one coin. She rips the house apart, sweeps it, lights a lamp to find one coin. Let me help you because some of you in here are like, God can't love me. Listen, he'll rip the house apart to find you, rip it apart. And so the king is searching for the cripple. The cripple is not searching for the king now. He's supposed to be detoured. Once Ziba says he's crippled, the king should say, ah, I don't want him. Watch the king's response in verse four. Verse four says this. The king said to him, look at these three words. Where is he? The king does not ask, how bad is he crippled? The king does not ask, how long has he been crippled? The king does not ask, how did he get crippled? The king, like, grace is unconcerned with the issue. Grace wants to see you saved. Now, this isn't a license to go out and do whatever you want. But this, because, you know, that, I want to help you with grace. Grace doesn't mean that I have a license just to do whatever. Listen, salvation, that's why Romans 5, verse 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for the future you. He didn't wait for you that prayed more. He didn't wait, wait for the you that had a consistent devotional life. While you were trifling, Christ died for you. But there is an expectation that you won't stay like that because all of us are on this journey of looking more and more like Jesus Christ. Grace doesn't concern itself with our condition. He says he's crippled. The king's next response is, where is he? I want him. And, and let me just tell you, like some of you, that question hangs over your head this morning. Where are you? That's the first question ever asked in the Bible. Where art thou? Because we're prone to be lost. We're prone to wander. And some of you have come in this place, like I'm not a naive pastor to think everybody in this room has trusted Jesus. I know that some of you haven't. And here's the crazy part. Some of you haven't trusted Jesus, but you're faithful to church. You're faithful to small group. You're in DNA and you got us all fooled. But let me tell you who you don't have fooled, the king. The king is like, he's crippled, but where is he let's get back in the text and you, you know because what, what I can get stuck here One of the things that happens when the king is looking for the cripple is it helps us to understand when we stand before God You do not have to stand before God worried about the wrath of God if you trusted in Jesus Because for the believer there is no wrath because Jesus has absorbed the wrath And the second thing that shows us here this response of where is he the second thing that shows us is that you don't have to hide your weakness for some reason, we think in order to be accepted by God or accepted by the body, we have to hide our weakness. If you're dealing with issues, I, I, put, I posted this on Facebook uh, two days ago or maybe yesterday. I said there is no one more miserable or more tired or more exhausted than the person that is weak but trying to portray himself as strong. Right. If you're weak, you need to say I'm weak. Right. I'm struggling here. I got issues here that I need to deal with and the body should get around you, yeah, not shun you for your weakness. Why? Because the king doesn't shun the cripple for his weakness. He says, where is he? Let's get back in the text. Look at verse four. I don't have time to deal with Lodobar, but I'm just going to mention it really quickly. Verse four, the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Makar, the son of Amiel. At Lodabar, I'm just going to simply say this. Lodabar literally means a place of no pasture. It it literally means, Lodabar literally means an unfruitful place. So look at our boy's resume. He's crippled. He's from a fallen dynasty. And he's living in someone else's house, Makar's house, in a place that's unfruitful. Like no one should be further from receiving the grace of God than this guy. And some of you in here think that you're way too far. You think it's no way God can rescue me. It's no way God can save me. It's no way God will want me. But if the king will reach all the way to Lodabar, which, by the way, was over 3,000 miles away from Jerusalem. If he could reach all the way there to save a crippled man, bring him back to eat at his table. God can find you. You are not too far from the Lord. I need you to feel the tension here. Verse Five, feel the tension. The king, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makar, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, please look at this with an exclamation point. Mephibosheth. And then he goes on to say, and he answered him, behold, I am your servant. And King David said to him, do not fear. Here's the tension I'm asking that you would feel in this text. I told you that the kings normally wiped out everybody in the family of the predecessor king. So when, when the knock on the door comes from Mephibosheth, he's probably filled with fear. Like the whole trip from Lodabar all the way to Jerusalem, he probably felt like a wounded animal in front of a vicious lion. But notice that the king's response, the king comes his response by saying Mephibosheth with the exclamation. He was excited to see him. Like, because for some reason, we think when we stand before God, he won't be excited about you. But he is excited about receiving this crippled man, despite the fact he can't bring in. He can't. He's not contributing to Israel. But nevertheless, the king is like, I'm excited to see him. Let's keep going. Now, there's a promise, two promises that are made. I'm letting the text work itself. Verse seven, there's two promises made here. And David said to him, do not fear. I will show you kindness. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, here's the two promises. I will restore to you the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Two promises. I'm going to restore land, and you're also going to eat at my table always. Now, this is costly. I read a book back in the day by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called The Cost of Discipleship, and in this book, he talks about cheap grace. This isn't cheap grace. Like, this grace cost the king something. And later on, you're going to see how costly it was. Why am I saying that to you? Because for some reason, you think that God purchased, yes, your salvation is free to you, but it cost God something. Can I tell you what? It cost God heaven's best. It cost his one and only son. For some reason, we think God had 10 sons, picked Jesus, and still got nine. No, he had one and only son, and he was able to give that son on your behalf. And for, you know, we need to receive that and be more generous. And I'm not just talking money. The reason is because we give God leftovers when he gave us his best. I cleaned out my refrigerator yesterday. Haven't done that in a while. Forgive me, wife. I cleaned it out. And when I got to the back of the refrigerator, I had some containers in there, of some some old food, and I took it out. And I realized, like, this is what we give God. We give him the leftovers in the back of the refrigerator instead of giving him our best. Why? Because he gave us his best. This cost the king something. He said, I'm going to give you land, not just a little land. You're going to see how massive this is. I'm going to give you land and you're going to eat at my table. Look at this, always. And watch Mephibosheth's response. Mephibosheth is overwhelmed by the royal favors. Look at what he says here. He says in verse 8, and he paid homage and said, this is what Mephibosheth says. What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? See, that is when you know it's grace. You know his grace when it's too hard to believe. Like when I got saved, you're, some of you know my conversion story. When I got saved, I, was, I grew up in church all my life, and, and I, I didn't get saved. I, I wish I had the testimony I was saved from a life of drugs and in the street. I don't have that testimony. I was saved in the parking lot of a church. Hear me, not in the church. I was saved in the parking lot of the church. And the dude that came to share the gospel with me, it was an argument. I was like, the gospel is the, that sounds like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I was not denouncing the cross. I believed in the cross, but I also believed in the cross, but I had to help God out. I believed in the cross plus my works. Grace sounded too easy for me. God would lavish his love on me and doesn't want anything from me? No way. But this is the good news of the gospel, that you don't bring anything to the table, but that in Jesus Christ, he did it all for you. And so, and so Mephibosheth is like, well, who am I that you would regard me? Look how he sees himself as a dead dog. Not a dog, a dead dog. But even though he saw himself as a dead dog, the king sees him as a son. How do I know that? And we got to just keep going in the story Now, verses 6 through 8, all we saw was was David talking to Mephibosheth. David completely switches his conversation now to the servant of Saul, Ziba. Look at what he says in verse 9. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belongs to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce. And your master's grandson... Uh, shall have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. But Ziba had 15. Look at this. 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to what my Lord has said, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. Look at this. I told you it cost God something. Can I show you how much it costs God? In order for God to give this, in order for the king to give this land to Mephibosheth, he said, it's going to take 15 of your sons and 20 of your servants and you to till the land. You do not need 36 people for a half an acre of land. This is a massive amount of land. And the king does not have to do this to uphold his covenant to Jonathan. He simply could have put him on some type of royal welfare system he could have left him in Bar and said, I'm going to just send you produce. But grace always blows our mind. It always gives you far more than you could have ever expected. I was watching this, 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 this Facebook video of this lady. She was the cleaning lady, and they brought her to this house, this mansion, huge house. They brought her to the house in order to clean the house, and she gets there with her cleaning supplies. And the lady that's at the door is like, I know you're coming in to clean the house, but just drop this stuff for a second because in the kitchen I have a world-famous chef, and I want you to taste some of his food. The lady's like, me? She's like, yeah, come on in. She goes, and she eats this food, and she sits down, and he's bringing her delicate food bringing her all this food. And she's sitting there, cleaning lady, sitting there eating all this food. And then afterwards, the lady, the supposed owner of the house says, now you're about my size. Can you go upstairs to my closet? I bought some new stuff. I just want you to try it on so I can see how it looks on you. So she's up there and she's putting on all these outfits and and the the lady's just watching her, you know, put it on. Okay, put that one down, put that one on. And then after that, the lady's like, I have a masseuse downstairs. She just bought a new table. I want you to try out this massage. So the cleaning lady goes and gets this. She still hasn't cleaned anything. She gets this massage and then the doorbell rings and at the door was her entire family. All of her kids and brothers are all at the the cleaning lady's family is all at the door and they have the keys to the house. And they said, you own the house. See, that is what grace does. You think grace just makes you acceptable. Grace gives you far more than you could have ever expected. In our text. Mephibosheth is like, listen, I'm overwhelmed right now. He says 15 sons, 20 servants, plus you. I want you to till this land. Let's get back in the text. I'm gonna finish up here. Verse verse 12. Verse 12 says, and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. I don't know if you picked this up, but four times in our story this morning, verse 7, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 13, the king says he has a permanent place at my table. Four times he says that. And this is important for us. Now, my grandmother used to say, you know, use your sanctified imagination. So if y'all allow me to use my sanctified imagination this morning, I couldn't help all week but wonder who else was at this table. Like, there's no way it's just it's not just Mephibosheth and the king. That's a little weird. But I'm guaranteeing you more people are at this table. You know who probably was at this table? I can't prove it. But let me tell you who probably was at the table. Absalom was probably at the table. This is, this is David's son. And let me tell you something that the Bible says about Absalom. The Bible says no one in Israel had more of a handsome appearance. When the Bible says that you're handsome, can we agree you're that dude? <laughs> he was probably at the table. Who else was there? Probably David's sons and beautiful wives and beautiful daughters. Joab, the general of his army, was probably at the table. Statesmen and men of wealth and men of power. Can you imagine dinner time? where Mephibosheth was coming down the hall, clicking his crutches, while all of these beautiful men and women of power were coming to eat. But here's grace. When he sits at the table and the tablecloth covers his crippled legs, he looks like everybody else at the table. Hear me. When you get into heaven, you should look like the one and only Jesus Christ. No, there's nothing. Like heaven is a no swag zone. You ain't walking to heaven saying, look at me. It's not a place for privileged people. All of us got in kneeling at the cross of Jesus Christ. Here's what I know. Some of you in this room are still hanging out in Lodabar. You just are. You are. You, you think because you're crippled that God doesn't want you. You think you're in an unfruitful place and God can't deal with you. He can't do anything. But I'm promising you acceptance from God is the acceptance you need this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to save you guys from running out of here and feeling unworthy. The crippled man in the text is unworthy. He should not be at the king's table. He should not get land. He should not have 36 people serving him. But he does. And this ain't a prosperity theology. The prosperity is in heaven and heaven alone. Father, I want to pray for everybody in this room today. There is somebody in this room that came in here broken that came in here feeling unworthy. And the reality is, Lord, I don't want to tell them they're worthy. They are unworthy. But you give us what we need. Because once once Jesus dies for us, Lord, we are now acceptable by you. Like, it's crazy to think, Lord, that when we stand before you, we'll hear spotless and and, and righteous and pure and holy, and we're not that. But you'll call us that because Jesus is that. But yet on the cross, Lord, Jesus took all of our sin, past, present, and future. And we now get to be accepted by you. Father, as we talked about rejection a few weeks ago, I thank you that you've given us a place that we are accepted. And because we're accepted by you, may we go through life bringing you glory and bringing you honor and all of the things we do. Father, I know that there are some lawyers in here, there are principals in here, people that work on Wall Street. Father, may we be reflectors of you and the spheres of life that you've placed us in. It is for your glory and for your honor, we do pray. Let everybody say amen. We're now going to move into a time of communion. Communion is a time, we do this every week. Communion is a time, and once you guys get it, let's just start passing it out. Communion is a time where we get to reflect upon the cross of Jesus Christ. We do this every week, not as a, this is not a funeral. This is a celebration. We are making a toast to our king today. So if you're a believer, I ask that you would take this. If you are not a believer, I ask that you would let this pass just because we would rather you take not the symbol of him. We'd rather you take him today. And if you have not trusted in Jesus, can our harvesters, our harvesters here, raise your hand. See one of these three people that have their hand up. If you have not trusted in Jesus, they want to walk you through the clarity of the gospel so that you can trust him today. Amen.